0: We're in this series called The Secret to Being Rich, and what we've done is we've taken the last three weeks, including today, and we've looked at three verses from the New Testament that give us our foundation for what we're talking about, and it's these um, from 1 Timothy 6, uh, and, and just a little bit of background as a reminder. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who's in a church in Ephesus, and so in a way, he's writing to the church, um, but he's writing to his apprentice in ministry, Timothy, and he writes this, 1 Timothy six seventeen. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And so what we've been doing over the past three weeks is we've been convincing some of you uh, that you're rich, that we are some of the people who are rich in this present world. And what we've said is that if you have a place to live with electricity and indoor plumbing, uh, and you don't have to worry about food to eat, you're rich. And if you have a roof over your head, food on your table, a computer and a phone, you're already richer than 98% of the planet. But I just want to take a moment and acknowledge that for some of you, uh, you may resent that. You may resent me calling you rich. You you may be offended by that. It might feel weird to you uh, when you have problems meeting your bills every month that you're being called rich. But, but the truth is that in America, even our poor, most of our poor in America are rich. <clears throat> Think about this. Most of the time, we don't worry about if we'll eat tonight. But we worry about what we'll eat tonight or where we'll eat tonight. You know, most of us don't worry about if we'll have anything to wear tomorrow. But we worry about what we're going to wear or what goes best with the shoes that we have picked out. You know, from a historical perspective and from a global perspective... We are rich. But more importantly, and one of the things that maybe we haven't hit on as hard as we should have in the last couple of weeks, is that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, well, that you're rich in Christ. You know, so the Apostle Paul was writing this letter and he was writing to people in the church, but he wasn't just simply writing to the people back then. I mean, this thing's been saved for posterity's sake so that we can enjoy it. He's writing to us now. He's delivering God's message for us today. Well, what's that message? Well, in the next verse, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 18, it says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, and to be willing to share. And so that's what we've taken over these three weeks. That is the secret to being rich. You know, what we've said is that if you're going to be something, you might as well be good at it, right? And so if you're going to be rich, we might as well be good at being rich. And so what we've said is that God has a life for us where two weeks ago we said, where we are rich in generosity. You know, and we talked about the difference that your financial giving makes uh, through Genesis Church and through other ministry opportunities, other worthy causes, and how that can advance God's kingdom. That we can be the people of God uh, through the way that we give our resources, and then last week, we talked about what it means to be rich in sharing, that this type of living and sharing and compassion among the church and amongst a body of believers is very unusual in a society like ours today. I mean, Americans are the most individualistic society maybe that's ever lived, and we are a people that is very independent. And so when we live in a way that we are in community with one another, when we depend on one another, uh, it's unusual for our times. Um, It also gets people's attention, doesn't it? When we are able to live in a way that we're dependent on one another and that we're uh, meeting one another's needs and that we're sharing and we're in community, it gets people's attention. And so today we're looking at the third part of this, uh, Paul's command to be rich in good deeds. And we want to talk about the difference that your deeds and my deeds, uh, the difference that your service can make for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the life and ministry of Jesus today. But before we do that, I want to give you just one example uh, that I see from the Old Testament. It's a story about a young king, a king by the name of Josiah. the writers of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles record that Josiah became king when he was eight years old. Any of you have an (laughs) eight-year-old? You think they're ready to be king? Uh, Were were your kids ready to be king when they were eight? Were you ready to be king when you were eight or queen when you were eight? Uh, Probably not. But scripture tells us that Josiah was one of the best kings that ever lived. And that at 16, he uh, began seeking the Lord and he rediscovered the scriptures and he eventually brought spiritual renewal back to the people of Judah. That Josiah was a good king. In fact, Scripture records he was one of the best kings. And look at how the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah remembered him. Jeremiah twenty-two, fifteen 15 said he did, talking about Josiah, he did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. And then there's this phrase that just seems to be out of left field. But look at this. Is that not it, what it means to know me, declares the Lord. I mean, how... Amazing is that, that God like sneaks in these sucker punches in the middle of this person's story, you know, that Josiah defended the cause of the poor and needy. And then he says, is that not what it means to know me? You know, next week we're starting this series, this six-week series called Follow Me. And we've been talking about this a little bit because um, our, a lot of our connection groups are around this series. Um, I've been working on this series for probably three or four months now. And it's really, um, it's really changing the way I think about what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, it's really having an impact on me already. Um, and this series is going to be an awesome series for um, people that are really investigating what it means to follow Jesus. And so it'll be great for our church, I'm confident. Um, It'll also be great if you've got guests or visitors, people that you've been thinking about inviting to church. It's going to be focused. uh, It's going to take us through what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to know God. And we're going to take six weeks and really investigate what it means to know God. But in this scripture right here, God tells, through the prophet Jeremiah, one of those things it means. He says, uh, he remembers Josiah as someone who defended the cause of the poor and needy. And then this question, is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. In other words, to, to good do, do good deeds, to be generous on behalf of the poor and needy, that's one of the things it means to know God. And here's what we see time and time again throughout scripture. We're going to look at the New Testament today and see what it looks like. But good deeds and good news go hand in hand. They can't be separated. Uh, so, for example, let me, let me say this. It can be separated. You can do good deeds without the good news. And you can tell the good news without good deeds. But they are most effective, I think you'll see, when they're together, hand in hand. So, for example, when recalling uh, and describing the ministry of Jesus, the Apostle Peter said this in Acts 10, 36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the what? The good news, right, of peace through Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. You know what has happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit of power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So, to study the life and ministry of Jesus is example after example of things like this, where you've got the good news and good deeds working together. And so, if you don't believe me, a couple more examples for you Matthew 4. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, right? The spoken word of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness, good deeds among the people. Matthew 9, Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, right? Of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness, good deeds, good news, hand in hand. It was something that Jesus practiced. It was just part of his ministry. And then it was something that he taught his disciples too. Like when Jesus sent his disciples out to go minister on their own for the first time, he gave them these directions in Luke 9. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, good news, and to heal the sick, good deeds, good news, good deeds, hand in hand. That's how Jesus encouraged his disciples and his followers. He modeled that living for them. And then he said, now you go do the same. You've watched me, I've shown you what is more important, now go do it. And so what did the early Christians do? What was the church known for, uh, in the very first church in the book of Acts? Well, it wasn't for their buildings. You know, people didn't drive by and go, oh, that's where the church and so-and-so meets, because they didn't have buildings. You know, it wasn't for their great organizational skills, because they weren't very organized. They weren't recognized by the government. They didn't get rich from their preaching. In fact, for three centuries, uh, the church remained mostly powerless. They were persecuted and tortured for their faith. But somehow, this movement continued to grow and gain momentum and get steam. And it grew so much that here we are 2,000 years later still talking about this guy, Jesus. They were persecuted and tortured for their faith. But their good deeds and generosity caused the world to stand up and take notice. And their distinctive lifestyle, the way they were generous, the way they shared with one another, and the way they did good deeds could not be ignored. What gave them leverage and influence to the world was their compassion and generosity towards others. In fact, Acts 2 records this. Acts 2.46 says, every day they, these are the first church, okay, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And look at this, and enjoying the favor of all the people. Enjoying the favor of all the people. Now notice this, the the Christians, they weren't called Christians back then, okay? But the people that we would call Christians today, the followers of Jesus, they enjoyed the favor of all the people, not just the church people. I mean, there weren't church people back then. They were the church people but they enjoyed the favor of all the people. What that means was that when people outside of the church looked at the church, what they saw was people that they liked. They saw people who were doing the right things. They saw something that was interesting that the people outside the church didn't have. They saw what they did and how they lived and how they gave and how they shared and how they were rich in good deeds and they liked them. I wonder if we could say the same about the church today. You know, do people outside of the church look at us, look at uh, the believers, the followers of Jesus, and do they see our generosity? Do they see mostly our good deeds? You know, do do they see the way we live in community? Or do they look at the church and mostly see what we're against? Or how judgmental we are? Or what we think they're doing wrong? You know, up to this point in society, up until that first century, the idea of generosity in a culture was find somebody who can do something for you and then do something good for them so that then they will have to pay you back. But Jesus walked into this culture and he announced that his kingdom was going to be different. That, that his kingdom would be based on things like good, good deeds and, and generosity and the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' kingdom, people would give and not expect to be paid back. That's how Jesus' followers lived. Well, what difference did it make? Well, you know, a couple times in the first 300 years after Jesus' death, there were major plagues that swept through Europe. And in 165 AD and then again in 260 AD, there were major plagues that killed um, hundreds of thousands or millions of people across Europe and in particular in the Roman Empire. And they were so bad that anybody who had enough money to get away from them would. They would flee. But not the Christians. Many of the Christians stayed behind and ministered to the sick and dying. Now, they ministered to them whether they were other Christians or not. In fact, Dionysius, the bishop of Alexandria, described how believers responded to one of these plagues, the one in 260 A.D. It said, "...the most of our brethren were unsparing in their exceeding love and brotherly kindness. They held fast to each other and visited the sick fearlessly and ministered to them continually, serving them in Christ." And they died with them most joyfully, taking the affliction of others and drawing the sickness from their neighbors to themselves and willingly receiving their pains. You know, the early Christians ministered to people and showed hospitality to the sick and to the poor and to the orphans and to the elderly and to the mine workers and to the prisoners. And because of that, and throughout the following centuries, the church played a major role in community transformation, and eventually transform the entire Roman Empire. You know, good deeds changed the world once. Could it happen again? Why can't it happen again? You know, why can't the church and Christians have that same kind of influence on the world today? I mean, think about what it would look like for the church once again to take on the burdens of our neighbors. You know, what if people outside the church would look to us as believers inside the church and say, you know what, I don't know that I believe what you believe, but I sure like having you for a neighbor because I like the way you treat our neighbors. You know, what if people would say, I don't know about this Jesus thing, but I sure wish one of you would marry my daughter because I like the way you treat other people. You know, there's, there's something different about a group of people that live that way. It could happen, you know. I and mean, it could start with you and me. Paul says, do good, be rich in good deeds. But why? I mean, what effect can we have on the world with our good deeds? What difference can our good deeds make today? Well, there's five things I want to share with you in the time we have left. And these are in your notes if you want to follow along in your worship program. But they're these. Number one is this. Good deeds genuinely benefit others. I mean, this is the reason why we should do good deeds, right? Because it benefits other people. Galatians 6.10 says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Good deeds, you know, acts of love and mercy and compassion and and justice help other people. Giving water to the thirsty helps that person that's thirsty. Giving food to the hungry helps that person not be hungry. Giving clothing to the cold or companionship to the lonely and health to the sick. They're all things that God cares about you know, ministering to and loving other people uh, is something that the Lord requires us to do, whether, listen to this, okay, whether that person ever comes to our church or not. You know, we don't love and serve our neighbors so that they will come to our church or so that they'll come into a relationship with Christ. First and foremost, we love and serve and do good deeds because we are followers of Jesus. And that's what he did. And 1 John 3 says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? <clears throat> and he says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions in truth. People often are led to God by Christians who show love and kindness first. Your good deeds may be the beginning of a person finding Christ, but that can't be your motivation. Your motivation needs to be that you want to be more like Jesus. And so good deeds genuinely help people. Number two is this, good deeds glorify God. Good deeds magnify the character of God. They, they show people what God's character is like. They point people to God. In, in Matthew five sixteen, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, every time I hear this verse about shining your light, I think back to a trip that my wife and I took um, many years ago now to Mammoth Cave down in Kentucky. Any of you ever been to Mammoth Cave? Great place to go um, Uh, It's an incredible uh, tour. In fact, they have a lot of tours, but on one of the tours, they'll take you to this giant room inside the cave. It's like maybe uh, 50 or 100 feet around and about 30 feet high underground inside this cave. And um, the entire tour is lighted. They've got lights going throughout the cave, but they want to show you uh, what the cave would have been like for those original people that were working in the cave. And so at some point in the tour, they'll warn you first, but they'll turn all the lights off. And so you'll be standing there with a tour guide and with your group, and the lights will go off, and it is the darkest thing you've ever seen. There is no light coming from anywhere, and, and the tour guide will say something like, um, just give it a minute for your eyes to adjust. And, and this whole time, two to three minutes, the tour guide is talking and telling you about what it would have been like for these people uh, that were working and mining things out of the cave, and your eyes are adjusting, but you're not seeing anything. It is pitch black. And then at the end of the, that little segment, uh, the mine worker, without warning, or the, uh, the um, cave tour guide, without warning, uh, lit a match. And all of a sudden, the light projected up on the sides of the cave and the ceiling. And you could see every wall, you could see the ceiling, you could see every detail, every nook and cranny in that cave from the light of that one match. It was amazing to me how that one little match could overcome that ent- all that darkness. And so in the same way that light shines from a single match, Jesus says, he commands us, commands us to let our light and our good deeds shine for other people. He wants what's going on in your life and in your heart to burst forth and overflow into your living and your action, you know, to bring light into the darkness and not for your credit. Okay, we don't do good deeds so that people will say, well, look at that, Steve. He's such a nice guy. I'm so glad we have him for a neighbor. He does such great things. I can't believe he, you know, uh, cleared my sidewalk. I can't believe he went and got the mail for me. I can't believe he brought me uh, a meal when we had a baby. And it's not for your credit. It's to glorify God. It's about making his name famous. Number three is this. Good deeds validate the good news. Remember, good deeds, good news go hand in hand, right? When, When our team is in Haiti next week, They'll be working with one of our very best ministry partners, a a group called Nehemiah Vision Ministries. Ministries. Uh, They're a great partner of ours. Um, They do lots of great things, but it started with one man's dream, a man by the name of Esperon Dupierre who was working in Haiti as a missionary, and he realized that he wasn't having very much success spreading the gospel because people had such great physical needs, that he would have a group of kids around him, and kids would be falling asleep because they weren't getting anything to eat. Uh, People wouldn't be able to come to um, events and meetings that he had because they had to go find a new job, or they had to go take care of a sick relative. And he realized very quickly that the good news, without doing some good deeds to help people, the good news was going to be wasted. And so because of that, he started this ministry called Nehemiah Vision Ministries. And he said, he realized, I can't meet their spiritual needs if their physical needs aren't being met. And so he started NVM. Now, see, if you just go spread the gospel in a place with lots of physical needs, you're going to not be successful, most likely. You're going to miss opportunities to meet people where they are. At the same time, if you just go and do good deeds and you don't share the good news of Jesus Christ, well, you're doing people a disservice because you may feed them, you know, you may help their physical needs, but they're still on the wrong path for eternity. You know, good, need, good deeds and good news go hand in hand. You know, we live in a day and age where there's a widely held different interpretations of truth. And, and the popular, one popular opinion is that there is no one prevailing truth. Now, for me, I believe in one truth. I believe in the truth of Jesus Christ, that the only way to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. But the challenge that's against us today is that fewer and fewer people are coming to faith in Christ. I mean, if you read the most recent news reports and studies and surveys from the people who do this concerning the effectiveness of the church in America, it's not encouraging. And honestly, it's kind of easy for myself sometimes to say, well, at least I've got this right. And to think, you know, maybe, the, maybe I'm right and everyone else is wrong. Maybe the whole world's going to hell, but that's okay. But instead, we probably need to ask ourselves a question. You know, the question is, Am I the problem? Are we the problem? Now, well, here's what I think. I'm, I'm all for good theology and good Bible teaching. I'm not saying that that should change. I'm all for great worship. I don't think that should change. And certainly there's nothing wrong with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now, we've got the best news of all time that, that even though our sin separates us from God, now he's not content to leave us separate, separate. So he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, a life that we could never live and to die a horrible death on a cross, a uh, a death that we deserved. And then he overcame death by rising from the dead so that he could show that we could overcome death and have eternal life. Jesus lived and died so that we could die then live. That's the best news of all time. But what about this? What if people are looking to us for more than just arguments? What if they don't want us to explain our faith, Or argue our faith as much as they want us to display our faith you know what if instead of one more facebook post or one more angry tweet maybe they're looking to see fruit in our lives maybe our world is waiting for more of a faith that they can observe more than one that's just simply argued or debated the good news or the good deeds that we share can validate the good news Number four is this, good deeds move people towards Jesus. Good deeds move people towards Jesus. When people are served and loved and they see good deeds, they're more willing to hear the good news that's behind the reason for those good deeds. Good deeds create curiosity that leads to a desire to understand more and to know more. You know, as I mentioned earlier, there are examples throughout history where these plagues would take over large swaths of Europe and, uh, or they'd strike a particular city and the people would flee. Well, Andy Stanley tells the story of one ancient city and a man by the name of Pacomius. Now, Pecomius was living in a place called Thebes, and he was 20 years old uh, when the Romans came and took over his town. Now, Pacomius was—his uh, parents were both pagans, so it's only natural that he would have grown up in that tradition and probably turned out that way himself. But when the Romans came, the course of his life was changed. See, when the Roman Empire would invade a new city, they would conscript or take all of the men that were 20 years and older and willing and able to, not willing, able to serve in the Roman army and they would take them away to go serve. And they knew that many of them would try to run away. And so for many of those men, they end up in prison. Well, this happened to Pacomius, And because the Roman generals knew that they would escape, Pacomius ended up in a prison. Um, And and, uh, what happened was when uh, this happened, there was a big famine, that ravaged the land around Thebes. And everyone started to starve. And the prisoners were some of the first that starved. But what Pacomius noticed was that um, soon after this famine began, every night when he was in prison, these people would come and leave food between the bars of the prison. And Pacomius and his friends were in this prison, and they didn't ask any questions. They just started eating the food. And so every night, these people would come, and they'd place food in the prison, and Pacomius and his friends would eat it. And because of these people, these strangers... Pacomius and his friends survived this famine. When it was over, Pacomius began to ask questions like, you know, who were these people? Where did they come from? And most importantly, why were they feeding us? And one day he finally discovered that the strangers were members of a group called the Christians. And when Pecomius completed his tour in the Roman army, he immediately sought out the Christians. He wanted to find out what was behind them feeding all of these prisoners and so from there, he learned about Jesus and he heard about the resurrection. And from there, Pacomius became a Christian and eventually became one of the leaders in the early church. In fact, he was later recognized as St. Pacomius. And it all started with good deeds and generosity that captured his heart. See, generosity and good deeds changed the world once. Why can't it happen again? What would happen if each of us took the posture and the example of Jesus and committed our lives... To lives of serving and of good deeds. Now, here's the beautiful thing about it for us, because we're all busy people. It's not about doing one more thing. This is not about signing up for a program or a group or going to go do something. I mean, it can happen with what you're already doing. I mean, all of us live somewhere, right? Right? All of us live somewhere. Well, what if you have neighbors? What if you're in a neighborhood or an apartment complex or a dorm or in your school? You know, what would it mean to go to get to know those neighbors? What if you get out your snow shovel? Maybe you've been doing that a lot in the last couple weeks. But you're doing your driveway. What if you went and did your neighbors? Hopefully soon it'll be mowing their grass. Let's just think about that, okay? What would it mean if you mowed your neighbor's grass? How good does that sound right now to push a lawnmower around? (laughs) What would it mean if you're doing your yard anyway to go mow their grass? Get to know them. Hey, here's a challenge for the next week. What if you just tried to get to know the people that lived right around you? Know their names and their kids' names, maybe their birthdays. I mean, how would that start to allow you to invest in a life of good deeds for your neighbors around you? Maybe it's where you work. You know, you all have, you have coworkers. Your coworkers have families. They have kids. Um, get to know them. What are their kids' names? How old are they? What do they struggle with? What kind of things are they dealing with on a daily basis? What about where you coach or volunteer? You know, who are the other kids that are on the field with your, your child at the same time? Who are their parents? You know, what are they dealing with? How can you help? You don't have to do one more thing. God has already put you in that place for a reason. You, you are around those neighbors for a reason. You know, you work at that place for a reason. You, you have those kids in your kid's school or on their team for a reason. Let your light shine for others to see. Doing things that honor and glorify God and validate your faith. I see this happening a lot at Genesis Church. In fact, um, there's one story I know of a group of women that have been praying uh, on a weekly basis for a local elementary school. Uh, They've been doing this for a few years now. But just this year, some really cool things are starting to happen. They had the chance at the beginning of the school year to set up a table at the parent teacher fair. And to let all the teachers know that these moms were going to be gathering to pray for them every week. And they got the chance to share that with the teachers. And now some of the teachers actually send them prayer requests. They email them each week and say, hey, here's something you could be praying about. Or could you be praying for this student? And so these moms get together every week and they pray for this school. They have these opportunities to share their faith and to talk about what's going on and what's what's happening in this prayer group. They're having spiritual conversations with the employees in the school. Now, maybe you hear that and you think, well, that would never happen at my school. You know, our principal is so closed off to that kind of thing. They're so afraid of crossing the line between church and state. They won't let that happen or, um, you know, that's kind of how it started with this school too. They, They were pretty closed off. They didn't really want any of that in their school. So what's made it happen? Well, prayer for sure. I mean, they've been doing this for about three years now. But you know what? These women have also made a lot of copies and they've... Cut out a lot of snowflakes. They've hosted a lot of Valentine's Day parties. They've tutored a bunch of kids. They've given hours and hours in serving the the teachers and the students of this school, and it's beginning to make all the difference. It didn't happen overnight, but little by little, we see it happening. I mean, imagine a church where everybody lived this way. Let's call it living with your eyes open. All right, just being aware to what's going on around you and who are the people around you. Being rich in good deeds, not just in Haiti or in a place like downtown Indianapolis, but on mission not just on mission trips, but but right where you're planted. Good deeds and good news hand in hand. And number 5 is this. Good deeds create goodwill in the city. You know, we've already seen this happen in Carmel in so many ways in the 18 months that we've been here. Uh, This is one great example. I don't know how many of you know that Carmel hosts a marathon every year, uh, a running race. For the fourth year um, this year in 2014, uh, this race will be run, and it runs right by our building down Old Meridian Street here. And uh, about uh, last year, we decided that as a church, we were going to host a water stop on that route. And so we got assigned the water stop that's just down Main Street less than a half a mile from our parking lot. And it was really cool because there were about 5,000 runners that that ran by, and we got the chance to hand them a cup of cold water. You know, Jesus said, anyone who gives a cup of cold water to someone in my name is my disciple. That was really cool that we got to be disciples in a way and serve the city of Carmel. And it was just, for us, it was just a way to give back a little bit. But I want to tell you some really cool things are happening uh, because of that. Um, For instance, I don't know if you remember this. the, The marathon is held in April, by the way. And last April, the week before Um, the Carmel Marathon was the Boston Marathon, which was where the bombing was, if you remember that. And the race leadership decided after Boston happened that they wanted someone to come pray before the race. Well, we were already investing in that. And so they call our church and they said, hey, do you guys have somebody that could come pray before the race? And so because we were investing in the city, I got the chance to go pray in front of the city of Carmel and 5,000 runners to pray um, before the race. You know, they, because of that investment, they've asked me to come pray several times at the, at the city council meetings in Carmel. I, I get another opportunity uh, next week to go do that. You know, we're, we're being able to invest in our city because of this one little investment that we made. We're getting the chance to make an impact in our city. All because a few people decided to invest a few hours of their time in handing out some cold water to some runners. We're doing it again, by the way, <laughs> if you want to help out. <laughs> and April 12th, Saturday, April 12th is the Carmel Marathon. I'd love for you to talk to me if you want to be there to help. Um, it's a fun time. You know, as we close this series, I'm just thinking about as a society, like we are so blessed to be rich. You know, we, we have all the material possessions we need. We have many of the things we want. And if we reject, if we deny the reality of what we have, it can keep us from hearing something so important. That it can change the quality of our lives forever. You know, we can sit here and we can think, you know what, I don't, I don't need to be generous. I've already got everything I need. You know, I, I don't need to I don't need to invest in other people and, and share and be in community with people. I, I've got all the friends I need. You know, I, I don't need to um, be rich in good deeds, I don't need to do good things. I, I've got everything that I need. You know we can, If we reject that reality, we can miss out on God's best for us. And the truth is that we are rich in this present world, but it's much harder to be rich in generosity, to be rich in sharing, and to be rich in good deeds. But don't miss this, okay? Because I don't think we've talked nearly enough about this third verse over the past few weeks. Look at verse 19, First Timothy 6, 19. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life That is truly life. You know, that's what Jesus said that he came for. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came so that they could have the life that is truly life. It's a life we all want. It's a life that's significant, a life that matters, a life that is so much bigger than we are. It's pursuing the very best that God has for us. We want that individually and we want that as a church, a life that is truly rich. And it's worth it. Would you pray with me? Father God, I'm thankful for that challenge, first and foremost, that you give us. That even though we're rich, that you want so much more for us. And that you want us to be rich in generosity and rich in sharing and rich in good deeds. And so I thank you that you've challenged us and you're not satisfied with us to stay where we are. But God, we need your help. I mean, we want to be the people of God. We want to be the church of God. We, we want our lives to be about so much more than just um, ourselves and our families. We want to invest in other places, in other people. We want to see your kingdom come to earth and we want to be a part of that, God. Would you help us in that? Would you send your power? Would you help us to be the people that you've designed us to be, that you've created us to be? Would you help give us what we need to be the church, to be your hope on earth?